I love that hymn. I thought of it all week as I studied Deuteronomy chapter 21. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you turn there? It's an ever-growing list of those who um, we love dearly, who have already gone to be with the Lord, those who we shall meet at last. Isn't that good news, church? Deuteronomy chapter 21, how the case law for the six commandments commandment points us to the Savior. You say, what in the world is going on there? And we've got one of those chapters, I'm going to say from our perspective, if we're not careful, because it's um, so often neglected by us, this portion of the Bible, there's a great love, I think, among Christians. Um, Certainly, if we are, we've been born again, there'll be a, a love for the Scriptures. We have an affinity for the right side of the Bible that, um, the study there comes easier. And uh, in our day, there is an often accepted um, case made for neglect of the left side of the Bible, the Old Testament. And uh, that is a um, wrong-headed way to think. And um, all of Scripture, don't you love that over in Paul's 2 Timothy? All the graphes, all Scripture, all the writings... Or panumad, panumad. Somebody got panumonia, right? Pneumonia. They're breathed out. All scripture. Deuteronomy 21 is breathed out by God and is profitable. Isn't that cool? And by the way, we've got a passage or a portion of Deuteronomy 21 that is very, very frequently mocked by some in the Christian community and certainly as a proof text for how foolish we Christians are when we get down to the stoning of the stubborn and rebellious uh, son. So what a privilege it is for us to be able to study Deuteronomy 21. Walt Kaiser said, as we think about this, the primary task, listen to this, as we think about studying scripture, like what Walt Kaiser said about this, the primary task of the biblical scholar is to unfold the meaning of the text of Scripture as it was originally intended to be understood by the writer of that text. So Moses, we want to understand what Moses meant when he wrote this text. He goes on to say, those ideas, meanings, and truth intentions which he had in mind are the first order of business. So Moses, the preacher, God preaching through him, God the Holy Spirit speaking to us, and God speaking through his word, Moses speaking to God's chosen people as they embark upon, ten toes touching the line, ready to go into the promised land. Moses is not going to go. And then we've got this, I think, explanation of the outworking of the sixth commandment. The sixth commandment, Deuteronomy 5, 17, you shall not murder. You shall not murder. So I believe we've got these five cases we're going to see, and even the language, it just makes it very apparent, these five cases that are pointing us to hear some outworkings. So the principle is you shall not murder. That's the clear principle. And then here's some further commentary case law to explain um, what that law means. We also were set on a journey back at Deuteronomy 16, verse 20. And we continue on with that theme, justice and only justice you shall pursue. So we're, we're continuing on with that theme we studied in uh, Deuteronomy 16, 20. Justice and only justice you shall pursue. And then what does justice look like 
uh, lived out among God's people in God's promised land. So, with that as a bit of an introduction, the word of the Lord from Deuteronomy 21. If a slain person is found lying in the open country in the land which the Lord your God gives you to possess, and it is not known who has struck him, then your elders and your judges shall go out and measure the distance to the cities which are around the slain one. It shall be that the city which is nearest to the slain man, that is, the elders of that city shall take a heifer of the herd, which has not been worked, and which is not pulled in a yoke, and the elders of that city shall bring the heifer down to a valley with running water, which has not been plowed or sown, and shall break the heifer's neck there in the valley. Then the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come near, for the Lord your God has chosen them to serve him and to bless in the name of the Lord. And every dispute and every assault shall be settled by them. All the elders of that city which is nearest to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley, and they shall answer and say, Our hands did not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see it. Forgive your people Israel, whom you have redeemed, O Lord, and do not place the guilt of innocent blood in the midst of your people Israel. And the blood guiltiness shall be forgiven them. So you shall remove the guilt of innocent blood from your midst when you do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. When you go out to battle against your enemies and the Lord your God delivers them into your hands and you take them away captive and see among the captives a beautiful woman and have a desire for her and would take her as a wife for yourself, then you shall bring her home to your house and she shall shave her head and trim her nails. She shall also remove the clothes of her captivity and shall remain in your house and mourn her father and mother a full month. And after that, you may go into her and be her husband, and she shall be your wife. It shall be if you are not pleased with her, then you shall let her go wherever she wishes, but you shall certainly not sell her for money. You shall not mistreat her because you have humbled her. If a man has two wives, the one loved and the other unloved, and both the loved and the unloved have borne him sons, if the firstborn son belongs to the unloved, then it shall be in the day he wills what he has to his sons. He cannot make the son of the loved the firstborn before the son of the unloved, who is the firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the beginning of his strength. To him belongs the right of the firstborn. If any man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or his mother, and when they chastise him, he will not even listen to them. Then his father and mother shall seize him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gateway of his hometown. They shall say to the elders of his city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death. So you shall remove the evil from your midst, and all Israel will hear of it in fear. If a man has committed a sin worthy of death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day. For he who is hanged is accursed of God so that you do not defile your land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word. What a great blessing it is that you have spoken. <clears throat> we testify and say amen that your word is true and it is sufficient and it is clear. Uh, it is the standard 
by which you uh, judge us, deal with us. It is um, in your word <clears throat> that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is so, re- so clearly revealed. We rejoice in Christ, in Christ alone. We boast in Christ, in Christ alone. We thank you that in Deuteronomy 21, Lord, we see Christ revealed and we ask for your assistance. God, we will not make any progress in our endeavor today apart from the illumination of your word by your spirit. And so we pray you will grant that. Pray you would help us to eagerly receive, to do according to your word. God, help us to never um, tone down your word, to apologize for your word, to shirk back from your word. May Christ be exalted and his church be built up today. God, for your glory. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. How the case law for the sixth commandment points us to the Savior. How many of you as I was reading that? It might have been your first reading. If you had not been studying ahead, how many thought, there's a lot going on there. And I'm not sure what all was going on there. That was my experience early in the week. There's a lot going on there, and um, I'm not sure. Let me show you how we get at this, the case law. Look at verse 1, if a slain person. So he presents this case. He says, the first illustration, example, outworking is going to be the, the first case is this um, unsolved murder. Uh, drop down to um, verse 10, if or when you go out to battle, and then we get the next case. And then verse 15, if a man has two wives. Verse 18, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son. Verse 22, if a man has committed a sin worthy of death. So we're, we're getting, again, it's a sermon. Deuteronomy is a collection of sermons. And we're getting Moses' preaching. So we've gotten back in the, the ten words, the Decalogue, the ten commandments. We've got the commandments. But that's at 30,000 feet. What does it look like for these commandments to be lived out? So we, we know you shall not murder. Clearly, that, we know what that means. Well, our society doesn't, does it? We know what that means. That's pretty clear. But is, what does that spirit of that mean? And so Deuteronomy 21 is just is pregnant. It's rich with much for us to learn about God's character, God's ways of dealing with man. Listen to this about the true nature of man. Man is made in God's image. We see that in even this first case. But man is also inherited. We've inherited this sinful nature um, from Adam. So I believe we would be looking at this rightly if we think about this as an application of the sixth commandment. The innocent are to be protected. The guilty are to be punished. And so with that, let's get to these five cases. Number one, the case of the unsolved murder. The case of the unsolved murder. If a slain person, verse 1, is found lying in the open country. So what you've got, you've got someone that's been murdered. And look at this. A slain person, he's lying in the open country in the land which the Lord your God gives you to possess. And look, it's not known who has struck him. Literally, that struck him. It doesn't sound like it's an accidental death, probably. Because who's pierced him? Who stabbed him? And so we've, we've got uh, the discovery of a body. Surely there's been much um, investigation, but it's not known in the verse 1 who killed this man. Well, there's blood, innocent blood that we read about. Look, drop down to verse 8. Forgive your people Israel whom you've redeemed, O Lord, and do not place the guilt of innocent blood in the midst of your people Israel. So God knows who the murderer is. 
the, the leaders, no one seems to know who the murderer is. Let's look at verse 2. Then your elders and your judges, look, they're, they're going to see who's got jurisdiction. We, we do this. You know, if something happens and you're really, really close to Dothan, or you're between Dothan and Ozark, or Dothan Enterprise, or Dothan and Slocum, then the appropriate authorities, look, at, verse 2 is really the similar principle. Your elders and your judges shall go out and measure the distance to the cities which are around the slain one. So we find the murdered one out here, you know, say between Dothan and Ozark. We have the authorities come and they measure. Verse 3, it shall be that the city which is nearest to the slain man, look, they're going to have jurisdiction. That is, the elders of that city shall take a heifer of the herd which has not been worked, which is not pulled in a yoke. So this, it's not a, it's not a sacrifice because there's going to be no bloodshed. But look what it seems to be. It seems to be a reenactment of the murder. God's going to walk them through a reenactment of the murder. You shall take a heifer of the herd, which has not been worked, which is not pulled in a yoke. So listen, since a murder has been committed, there's a problem in the land. This sin that's been committed, remember Israel, a theocracy, the people of God. By the way, you see this comes over, this comes over in the New Testament with church discipline. There's, there's sin in the camp. There's sin in the camp of Israel. Somebody's been murdered. And, and so that affects, that doesn't affect, now I want you to say this is so the gospel of Deuteronomy. Drop down to verse 8. Forgive your people Israel whom you have redeemed. These are redeemed people. Here's how redeemed people are supposed to deal with sin in the camp. They're going to reenact the murder sort of with this heifer. Verse 4, the elders of that city shall bring the heifer, look, to a valley with running water. So you go find a wadi, running water that's fed. And, and by the way, a valley that no one has yet uh, tilled. It hasn't been cleared. It's not been plowed or sown. And here's what you do. You break the heifer's neck there in the valley. So you kill her, kill the heifer. Then the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come near for the Lord your God has chosen them to serve him and to bless and the name of the Lord and every dispute and every assault shall be settled by them. Then all the elders come out. We've got the priest, sons of Levi. Verse 6, the elders of the city which is nearest to the slain man. Look what they're doing. This ceremonial, they wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley. And they shall answer and say, now this is, you've got this murder. We don't know who committed the murder. This unsolved murder. And we're being walked through the process to remove the guilt of this innocent blood from the midst of God's people. And by the way, verse 8 and 9 is a prayer. The prayer is the key to the entire case. Look at this. This is so rich. Look at verse 8. Forgive your people, Israel, whom you have redeemed. I love that. Forgive your people. Whose people is, are they? They're God's people. Forgive your people, whom you have redeemed. And by the way, we're going to close out the chapter with a case that shows us good works will never bring anyone to God. Salvation is by grace. God, by grace, verse 8, has saved Israel. He redeemed them. They're his people. And, and their plea for forgiveness, here's their prayer. Forgive your people, Israel, whom you've redeemed, O Lord. God, they're your people. Will you forgive them? Do not place the guilt of innocent blood in the midst of your people 
and the blood guiltiness shall be forgiven them. I told you this is about the sixth commandment. It's protect the innocent. Somebody's been murdered. Well, the murderer knows who that is, and God knows who that is. We don't know who that is, but, but look, this, we would say, I'm thinking of the church discipline outworking in New Testament, murder a public or private kind of sin. Murder's pretty public, isn't it? Quite public. So we got this public sin, and God's saying that sin needs to be dealt with because it's affecting all of his people. So, so here's an application. Sin in the Logos body, you say, well, the sinner needs to deal with that. Yes, but do you know sin in the Logos body affects all of the body? A little leaven has no effect on the whole lump of dough. No, 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 a little leaven what? It leavens the whole lump. So got to move quick because we've got five cases, the case of the unsolved murder. If a slain person is found lying in the open country, so here's how you deal with that. A couple lessons, point, first case before we move on. Sin is serious. Why culture doesn't believe that. I got in a thread this week that you ever get in a thread of reading in an article and you regret that you read that thread? And it was, um, it was about a hockey player that won't wear the pride jersey. And I read his, what he said, and he's a Christian. He tries to live in accordance with God's word. And um, I was like, that, that, that. His, his statement was good. I was not impressed necessarily with the team statement. But then I got to reading the comments. Can I just tell y'all, Jesus said the world will hate Christians. Y'all, based on the comments, the world hates us. And that's okay. That's not. Lord, help us share the good news of Jesus with them lovingly so they can meet him and be washed. Right? That's what the world needs. But sin, whatever the world says to the contrary, let me tell you, here's two principles I want you to see about this first case. Sin is serious. So there they are in Israel. I can see the leaders like, well, we just put that, we put that in the unsolved case file. God said, no, no, no. We're going to deal with that. Sin is serious. And by the way, sin is against God first and foremost. Surely the murdered one was sinned against. But I love, I love that principle, verse 8 and 9. Forgive your people, Israel, whom you have redeemed, O Lord, and do not place the guilt of innocent blood in the midst of your people. We go to God pleading for forgiveness. First case is the case of the unsolved murder. We've got to move faster. Second, the case of the prisoner of war bride or the captive bride. The case of the prisoner of war bride. So let's look at verse 10. Second case. When you go out to battle against your enemies. So Israel is going to conquer her enemies when you go out to battle against your enemies. The Lord your God delivers them into your hands. You take them away captive. That's going to happen. As you're taking them away captive, you see among the captives a beautiful woman. You have a desire for her and would take her as a wife for yourself. Then you shall bring her home to your house. So we've got this, this prisoner. She's a prisoner of war. And she's been taken captive. And here are the instructions for how an Israelite man is to um, bring her to, uh, for, for her to be his wife. Verse 12, you shall bring her home to your house. 
She shall shave her head and trim her nails. And it's, look, putting off of her former um, way of living, removing the clothes of her captivity. She shall remain in your house, mourn her father and mother a full month. After that, you may go into her and then you may be her husband and she will be your wife. Shall be, if you are not pleased with her, then you shall let her go wherever she wishes, but you shall certainly not sell her for money. You shall not mistreat her because you have humbled her. And so what we've got, the, I believe a sanctity of life illustration demonstrating God's, the, the, the most vulnerable person in all the world in this time would be a single woman. And a prisoner of war, beautiful woman, was particularly vulnerable. And so what you see here, you see the sanctity of life, uh, sanctity of life demonstrated by God's concern for the plight of this woman. Now, God is not partial. Now, you also see a couple things here in the case of the prisoner of war bride. Mosaic law permitted divorce. Verse 14, it shall be if you are not pleased with her, then you shall let her go. Mosaic law permitted polygamy. From all the reading, there's polygamy taking place probably, likely in verses 10 through 14. And it's clearly taking place in verses 15 through 17. That, neither divorce nor polygamy, are God's standard. Listen to what Jesus said about this. Matthew 19, verse 3. Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him. Anytime you read that, somebody comes to Jesus testing them, just stop and go, this is going to be interesting and fun. It's, it, here's things that never go well, testing Jesus. Just mark it. I mean, you're about to read some really cool Bible truth when you see this. Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? So they come asking about divorce. He answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? I love this. They ask about divorce. What does Jesus teach them about? marriage. He takes them back to Genesis 2, 18 through 24. Jesus doesn't want to talk about divorce because he wants to talk about marriage. Marriage is the issue. Have you not read? Boy, that's a slap in the face, wasn't it, to the Pharisees? He created them from the beginning, made them male and female, and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And look what Jesus' final word, he's through talking about it. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate covenant marriage. Well, they didn't leave it there. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? By the way, he's going, Moses didn't command that. This is what Jesus said, verse 8. He said to them, kept saying to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. Divorce. Polygamy, not God's standard. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it has not been this way. He goes back, right? He, he goes back to before Mosaic law. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. Here's what disciples say. If marriage is that serious, whoa, you better be really, 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 really sure before you step into that. And so what we see here in the second, the case of the prisoner of war bride, leads us also to the third case, the case of the loved and the unloved wives. Go on to verse 15, and we get 
uh, another, you know, we, we're, we're consulting case law around the sixth commandment. Here's the next case. If a man has two wives, the one loved and the other unloved. Now, you, you, immediately, Bible illustration comes to mind. Who, who do you think of? You, you think of a couple of, a name, so Leah and Rachel. Leah the what? She, which hat is she wearing there? The unloved. Rachel the what? Hannah and Peninnah, right? Hannah and Peninnah. We, we get illustrations. So you can go read those. We don't have time for that. People like sermons less than an hour and a half sometimes. If a man has two wives, the one loved and the other, uh, un, the other unloved. So you got one man, two wives. By the way, is that God's standard? Would you expect some conflict there? Is divorce God's standard? Would you expect some pain, conflict, scars there? We, we don't what you see. Like, so people are, okay, how do we understand Deuteronomy 21? So here's what I'm going to say. It's grace all over the place. Deuteronomy 21 is grace all over the place. All the provision God's making. All the grace he is showing. If a man has two wives, boy, wouldn't that be tough to be that unloved? One loved and the other unloved and both the loved and the unloved have borne him sons but look how it went down the firstborn son belongs to the unloved you already see how that goes so and the loved who's got his ear more the loved wife or the unloved wife y'all acting like y'all don't know (laughs) unloved wife love wife he's back in the back room with the love wife and she's saying hey i know you're getting ready to go meet with the attorney and write the wheel that's what's going on here you're going to write the wheel I would really, 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 really be pleased if you would make my son the firstborn. You see how that might be going down? You feel that, cult, that current running that way? End of verse 15. If the firstborn son belongs to the unloved, then it shall be in the day he wills what he has to his sons. It's wheel writing time, you know. Oh, what are you going to do? And by the way, he's going to have to go back and tell that loved one, like, I'm telling you, Moses said, and God said, her son gets double. You know, that's going to go over like a lead balloon, isn't it? It shall be, y'all just, y'all get it. It's really, really clear case. It shall be in the day he wills what he has to his sons. He cannot make the son of the love the firstborn because before the son of the unloved, which is the firstborn, but he shall acknowledge the firstborn. Let me, do you see how God is not partial He's right in the middle of that situation. Look, this prisoner of war bride, you talk about somebody doesn't have a leg to stand on. She comes in. I'm talking about she has been, think about it. Her people have been wiped off the face of the earth. She's been taken captive because of her beauty. And here she is in a house of an Israelite. And by the way, you get down to verse 14. He might not be pleased with her. How are things going? And you look, you see God looking right into that situation. And you see the high value he places. And in and, and, and here, I'm going to say in each of the examples on the most downtrodden, the lowest standing one. The unloved one. Verse 17. But he shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the beginning of his strength. To him belongs the right of the firstborn. Justice and only justice you shall pursue. That sounds like justice, doesn't you? Doesn't it? Sounds exactly like justice. Let's get to the fourth case. More to say, but we don't have time to say it. The case of the rebellious son. Verse 18. Case of the rebellious son. If any man, look, we pick it back up, that if. If a slain person, 
If or when you go out to battle, if a man has two wives, next case, fourth case, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son. Now, don't think four-year-old here. It's going to be evident in the text. Or eight-year-old. So, a man, any man, has a stubborn and rebellious son. And here's what he's marked by. He's marked by the reality that he is a disobedient son. He's marked by some other adjectives. Verse 18, he will not obey his father or his mother when they chastise him. So God has wired the world, listen, that he is in authority. We are under authority. God is in authority. We are under authority. Children he has put, listen, under the authority of their parents. Guess what? 99 out of 100 times, children, our parents, your parents, and our parents know better than you. Right? All God's people said. The parents ought to be like, I'm with you, David. Right? Okay, so that's the principle. God, God has put children where? In homes, under his authority, under parents' authority. So that's the picture. Any man has a stubborn and rebellious son. And this looks like an early adult age son. He will not obey his father or mother. They chastise him. And this sounds like an ongoing thing. They've been trying to chastise him. He will not even listen to them. Now, look what happens next. And this is where people are like, I'm done. So many people, I'm done. Done with your Christianity. This was kind of thing that I found in the comments thread. For anybody that believes, you know, this, you're, I want to tell you, Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21 is God's word and it is good. Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21 is God's word and it is good. And if, we, if it rubs us the wrong way, let me tell you, the cat needs to turn around and be humbled. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And that's, that, let me tell you, we don't want to be under anybody's authority. Here, here's the reality. Apart from Christ, I want to be in authority. And I come to the Bible, let me tell you, we're going to come to God. We will fall under his authority. Verse 19. This is heavy. His father and his mother shall seize him. And by the way, it's remarkable to me. This doesn't surprise you, but it happens in his hometown. You know, everybody has seen how many DUIs he's got. Everybody's dealt with what a smart aleck he is. Everybody's dealt with how rebellious he is. And they're also going to get to participate in his execution. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? His father and his mother shall seize him, verse 19, and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gateway of his hometown. Don't tell me sin's not serious. Verse 20, they shall say to the elders of his city, listen to the testimony. Don't you ask a broken-hearted daddy and mama? That's why I picked that passage about spanking our children. Deal with them or they'll be like this. This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. Have you ever met a grown-up person whose mom and daddy didn't wear their behind out? Y'all being all serious? You have. You'll say that to each other. You won't save it to the brat who's 40. Right? You're like, I wish her mama had taken her and tore her little behind. That's just, that's the Bible. Right? You go, hey, David, you're offending mine. That's okay. I don't want to, but it's the truth. They shall say to the elders of his... He's, you know what he's done? He's went his own way his whole life. If you go your own way, how does that end? Doesn't end pretty. The reason you spank your children is you're helping them to see you are not called to go your own way. 
Verse 20, they shall say to the elders of his city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. Now look, this is why I say he's not like a second grader. He is a glutton and a drunkard. This is a grown-up boy, right? Man, he's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death. So you shall remove the evil from your midst and let all Israel... And by the way, I love the end of verse 21, and I'm like, you think? All Israel will hear of it in fear. Hey, did you hear they stoned the Smith's boy yesterday? You think anybody would hear of that? And then, by the way, you come back home, and if you used to hang out with the Smith boy, I hope I'm not, not, you know, I have nobody in mind, right? That's just a common, right? The Anderson boy. (laughs) I could picture that now. Yeah, 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 that little bad boy, almost, yeah. We obey God's word, and we come back home. So let's say he was 20, 18. Do you think any boys who were 12 and 13 would ponder that? You think they would say, hey, Daddy, remember yesterday? What was that about, son? Let me tell you what that was about. That boy disobeyed God. He disobeyed his parents, and he, he kept going down that road, and he continued to be disobedient, and yesterday he got the consequences because sin brings consequences. I do believe Israel will hear and fear. Fifth case, so little time, the case of the cursed one. The case of the cursed one. If, next case, verse 22, if a man has committed a sin worthy of death and he has put to death. So you've got someone that is executed, capital punishment. By the way, they're not, it, likely not executed by hanging. After they're executed, they're hung, it seems like here. If a man has committed a sin worthy of death and he has put to death, then you take his body, I think, and hang him on a tree. Now, that's another visual, isn't it? If you just drove by the courthouse this afternoon, took Stephanie to work early, early, early this morning, drove by the courthouse, if I'd seen a corpse hanging there, that would have had an effect, right? And by the way, can I just say this? We've gotten a point. Hey, you think of the case of the rebellious son. Here's what we got. We got a culture. The whole debate I've been reading about for the last year or more is how children are in control in order to be able to make decisions, even about their gender, You know, we're going to listen to the six-year-old over his or her gender. God has determined his or her gender. We got, so you you go, man, I tell you, Deuteronomy 21's backward. No, here's what I'm saying. Deuteronomy 21's how it should be, and look at how far we have come. Because we've got kids in authority over parents. And then we've got people who commit crimes, just not even, most of the time, hardly punished for the crimes. God you know right. You know best. If a man has committed a sin worthy of death, he's put to death, you hang him on a tree. His corpse shall not hang all night on the tree. but You shall surely bury him on the same day. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. So that you do not defile your land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. So this sin worthy of death. It's like the previous case. Sin brings consequences. And by the way, this strong language, one who is cursed of God. It's literally the curse of God. So the case of the cursed one, 
And it was, listen, it was not that a, that a person became cursed by being hanged on a tree. That's not it. So I was like, well, if you get hanged on a tree, then you're cursed. No, he was hanged on a tree because he was cursed. Right? That's, a, that's a, the, the meaning of that. And so we look through the lens of this and we wonder what's going on here. By the way, Paul, turn to, because I've got part of, turn to Galatians. Turn to Galatians. I've got 13 and 14 for you on the slide. But I want to start at verse 10. So we read back, I'm holding my place at Deuteronomy 21, 22. If a man has committed a sin worthy of death. So can I just tell you this? I'm going to make New Testament application. Every one of us in the room have committed sins worthy of death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Moses, I love this. So I, I was reading in John, started studying through John this week. I'm reading chapter 1, verse 45. Remember Philip and Nathaniel? I love the, I love the account of the Bible. You see, the Bible the Bible's an amazing book. Remember when Philip's talking to Nathaniel, like, can anything good? You know, they're just talking, right? Listen to this. John 1.45. Here's what Philip told Nathaniel. We have found him of whom Moses in the law wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. Moses in Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23 is absolutely writing about how to deal with those who are executed and who are worthy of death and they're cursed of God, how you illustrate that they're cursed of God. Moses is writing what applies to the children of Israel in that day and time and will serve them well in the promised land. And Moses at the same time is writing about Jesus. Paul nails it to the wall for us. Now back to Galatians 3 verse 10. For as many, I'm in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. Hmm. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. If you're going, you're going to do it on works, guess what you got to do? You, you know, it's not the cafeteria plan of works. Well, I'll take that one and that. No, you, you, go, you know what you got to do? You got to do all of it. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Verse 11, now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. I'm going to read that again because there are people in every age that try to do that. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. Okay, class. Who is justified by the law before God? No one. So, so listen, don't even try. It doesn't work. This is gospel, Deuteronomy's gospel. Back to verse 11. I'm going to repeat it. This will be the third time, right? Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, 
He who practices them shall live by them. Now listen to verse 13 and think about what we're studying today in Deuteronomy. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did he do that? Having become a curse for us. Listen, God's curse fell to us. Christ became sin, right? So that we receive his righteousness. He takes our curse upon himself. And I love that. If you're not studying, if you only study Galatians 3 and you don't study Deuteronomy 21, you won't even get the full weight of it. It's more meaningful. Christ, verse 13, redeemed us from the curse of the law. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Christ, oh, Christ never deserved to be a curse. You say, I want to know what love is. It's a song that sings. Read the Bible. It's not a sentimental feeling for you and your girlfriend or wife on the back porch. By the way, that's in that vein, but I want to tell you, that's a very little love. This is love. Here's love. Sinners like us, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. And listen to what he quotes, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Where's that written? Deuteronomy. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Abraham, 500 years before Moses, salvation's by faith. It's by grace alone, through faith alone. That's so good. It's the gospel that Moses is preaching so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So I'm going to summarize because it's that time. I'm where I'm at on case, the case of the cursed one. All right, let's move to application. Does this chapter teach us anything? Boy, it teaches us a lot. Here's a couple of thoughts. This chapter teaches, I'm going to say first of all, God's great love for mankind. Don't you love that? Here's this, here's this captive prisoner of war bride. And, and, and God is preaching through Moses right before he dies, ensuring, listen, going to all these lengths so that she's treated right. It, this chapter teaches us God's great love for man. Second, this chapter teaches more than this one. I heard this in the week after I wrote this. I heard this like in the media about people being victims of circumstance. Listen to this. And I thought, I'm right and you're wrong. That's what I thought. I didn't think about changing the sermon. We are not victims of circumstance. You are not a victim. I am not a victim. Listen to this. We are not victims of circumstance. Man's kind problem is within us. And I'm not saying you haven't been sinned against, but I'm going to tell you, you and I will get wrapped around the wheel of how we've been sinned against. First and foremost, we need to ponder how greatly we have sinned. The gospel have more made. The Bible is really, really clear. And I want to tell you, you read over and over and over again in God's word. You read over and over again in all five cases. And you say, wow, we are not victims of circumstance. Mankind's problem is within him. Run from a friend, a counselor, a coworker that has a worldview. I tell people, any counselor can put a Christian fish on their card. And if they have, the, and start talking to you about how you're a victim. I want to tell you, the Bible is clear. The problem is sin, and Jesus came and defeated sin. And now that we're in Christ, let me tell you what we become. Yeah, we carry some scars. Anybody got some scars? Yeah, we got some scars. Thought y'all would have been with me more. I do. But we're conquerors. 
It's for freedom that Christ set us free. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've got to get this right. We're not victims of circumstance. Sin is the problem. Third, God's grace is the only hope. I love that. There's this unsolved murder. And listen, God wants his people to be right. He wants them to be right. And he looks in and says, here's something y'all hadn't taken note of. There's been a murder that hasn't been dealt with. I, look, I want y'all right in y'all's fellowship. Y'all are my people who I've redeemed. Deal with this. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? God's grace is the only hope. And that's what we get in that prayer of eight and nine. Fourth and finally, Christ became a curse for sinful man to deliver us from the sentence of death. Well, that is good news. So listen, think about this. Because of our sin, we were hopeless we are now clothed in Christ's righteousness. The sinless son of God took the curse upon himself. He put himself on that cross. He became cursed of God. And we quoted this earlier, but I'll close with this and I'll pray. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Here's that great, glorious, divine transaction that accomplished our salvation. Here's commentary on that. He made him... God the Father made Christ, the Son of God. He made him who knew no sin, not to taste it. Look, he made him who knew no sin to be sin. Oh, isn't that glorious? So, I, I want to call your attention. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Can you put that back up? I don't, I don't know who I'm putting pressure on back there on the PowerPoint. But if you got your Bible, all right, look at this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law beautiful. Look at this. Having become a curse. I want you to see what ne what's the next two words. Having become a curse, what? For us. What's the next two words? For us. Christ became a curse for us. Drop down to 2 Corinthians 5.21. Thank you. You're doing a great, whoever's doing that. I appreciate you more than you know that last slide. He made him who knew no sin to be sin, comma, on whose behalf? Our behalf. I'd knock your socks off, wouldn't it? God the Father made the eternal Son of God to be sin on our behalf. Became a curse, listen, for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the gospel. Uh, we thank you for uh, the passage we have studied today. Um, so very relevant, Lord, so filled with glorious truth. We pray you will reorient our thinking. We pray you will increase our faith we pray that we will treasure Jesus. We thank you for his substitutionary atonement that the eternal Son of God in the flesh became a curse for us and hung, stripped, beaten, ridiculed, mocked, hung uh, for the whole world to see on Calvary's cross so that we might be saved. 
Oh God, what a great salvation you have given to us. We pray that you will help us to love you rightly. Help us to treasure all of your word. God, help us to be eager followers of Christ. God, help us it was for the worldwide mission that Jesus came, Lord, for the Gentiles. Lord, we get in on that promise and we get to invest in that promise. And so help us to share this good news, Lord, far and wide, everywhere. You haven't called us to share it everywhere, but everywhere you would use us, God, would you um, make us bold missionaries. I pray for our church, Lord. I pray that Lagos, that we will be the bride that you um, have called us to be, the bride that you have uh, empowered us and enabled to, us to be. Lord, I pray for a um, myriad of circumstances that we come in here today, Lord, all the different needs. Um, I don't even know the needs of my own heart, Lord, much less the hearts of others. So God, I pray that you would um, convict. I pray that you would confirm, you would establish, you would perfect, you would teach us, you would train us in righteousness, you would reprove us. And uh, God, that we would, um, we would love Christ more and we would serve him joyfully for your glory and the health of your church and the advance of your gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.